Welcome to the Rick Reed Sermon Podcast. Rick serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary, where he has the joy of preaching God's Word and training the next generation of preachers. The sermons on this podcast are taken from Dr. Reed's preaching ministry in churches, conferences, and at chapel services at Heritage. Well, in in preparing for the series that we are in on Sunday mornings called Losing Your Luggage, I was helped by a very uh, young pastor and a very, very old pastor. Uh, The very young pastor is a man by the name of Zach Martin. Uh, Mom and dad are right up here. Uh, Zach is a young pastor. He was one of our interns. Some of you will remember Zach was with us for a number of years and now is pastoring a church in Brooklyn, New York. So he was a young pastor, and the very old pastor that I was helped by is a Puritan pastor by the name of John Owen. John Owen has been dead 325 years, so he qualifies as a very old pastor at this point. And how those two are connected is uh, some time ago, Zach told me, hey, there's a book you ought to read by an old Puritan pastor. In fact, Zach did more than tell me about it. He actually uh, sent me a copy of a modern kind of reprint of this book. So last January, I began to read the book, uh, knowing that we were going to do this study on Romans chapter 8 coming up in the fall. Last January, I began to read this book and began to understand why Zach and others have been quite impressed with it. It truly is a classic, the book that uh, Zach was referring to. The title of the book is this, Of the Mortification of Sin in Believers. Well, actually, that's just the first line of the title. The full title is this, of the mortification of sin in believers, the necessity, nature, and means of it, with the resolution of sundry cases of conscience thereunto belonging. It's going to be a top seller, can't you tell, just by that title? I mean, this book would not at all uh, make it in today's marketplace of books, Christian books. For one thing, the title is way too long and way too confusing. And then when you get into the book, the language being rather antiquated is rather chewy. It's hard to get through. It's thick. And then on top of everything else, the guy that wrote it was a Puritan. Now, Puritans don't get a lot of good press in our day. To call someone Puritanical is not to give them a compliment usually, right? So here you got a Puritan pastor writing on the mortification of sin in archaic English language with a long title. Why would anybody spend their time on this book? Why isn't this book consigned to the dustbin of history? Well, there's some good reasons why it hasn't been. In fact, this book is often cited as a very important work by by writers that today we respect widely. Jerry Bridges says, man, this was an important book in his life. John Piper says this was a really important book in his life. J.I. Packer said this is a really important book in his life. It's a classic. So the question is, why is that? Well, the the book is a classic because John Owen was not only a strong theologian, he was a very sensitive, warm-hearted pastor. And in this book, he does an amazing job of exegeting not only the scriptures, but he exegetes the human heart. 
And he applies what God's word says to the inner recesses and ugly realities of our human experience. And he shows how God's word makes it possible for ordinary people like us who have slippery and slimy motives at times to actually find sin being mortified in our bodies. So tonight, what I wanted to do for you is to give you a bit of an introduction to John Owen and the book that's called The Mortification of Sin and Believers. And my hope that is tonight, it might spur some of you on to actually want to read the book. In fact, uh, when you leave tonight, well, we've prepared since uh, the copyright has long since expired on this book, and you can get it free online. Uh, our office staff went ahead and printed out a copy of uh, the original uh, Mortification of Sin, and we bound it together, and you can pick them up if you'd like one at the Welcome Center. I think they're just a couple bucks, 250 I think it is, which is our printing cost. So if you'd like that, my hope is that some of you will be curious enough or interested enough to actually go, you know, I'm going to start looking at this thing and see what it has to say. But tonight, my goal is rather simple. I want to introduce you to John Owen, and then I want to give you an overview of his book and show you how it leads into what we're going to be looking at the next two Sunday mornings mornings in our study of Romans. Okay. So let me pray for that. And then I'll try to go through it rather quickly, but I hope it'll at least uh, kind of whet your appetite for what's ahead. Father, thank you for the fact that we can still benefit from those who have gone before us, who wrote works that deserve to be reprinted and reread. And I thank you for the work that John Owen wrote so many years ago. Thank you for his pastor's heart. Thank you for his theologian's mind. Thank you for his biblical faithfulness. And thank you, Lord, that his work can still help us who are trying to deal with the mortification of sin in our own lives. So I pray you'll use this short talk tonight to kind of point us in that direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me give you a brief bio of John Owen. I have here a couple of books. Uh, this, you can't see the picture of this, but uh, he's a good Puritan-looking guy. had kind of long hair. In fact, he looked a lot like Stevie, who played the guitar, only didn't have red hair. So... Uh, if you're interested, you can take a peek at this. This is a more modern copy of uh, Mortification of Sin and a number of other works. John Owen was a prolific guy. If you get a complete volume of his works, I think it's like eight or ten volumes with multiple books in each one. But let me give you a brief bio on him just to give you a little feel for the man. John Owen was born in England the same year that William Shakespeare died, 1616. He was the son of a pastor, one of five kids. And from his earliest days, it was clear he had a keen mind. In fact, get this. He finished his bachelor's degree at Queens College, Oxford, when he was 16 years old. Now, back then, they kind of started college a little quicker than uh, we often today. But, you know, the guy's done with his first degree by the time he's 16. Did a master's degree three years later. So by the time uh, he was 19, he'd finished both an undergraduate degree and a master's. At the age of 26, two significant things happened to John Owen. The first one is he published his first book, which, as I said, would be the first of many books he would later publish. In fact, uh, some call him the most or one of the most influential English the theologians of all time. So he wrote his first book when he was 26. Also, that same year, he got married. Married a woman by the name of Mary Rook. And they would be married for 31 years. They would go on to have 11 children. But here's a sad thing. 10 of the 11 children died in infancy. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine losing 10 out of your 11 kids? 
They lived back in the time of plagues, and one of the times they lost several kids in one of the plagues that swept through England. The one that lived, the girl that lived, grew up to be a young adult and had kind of a, a, a difficult marriage, came back home and died of consumption. So they lost all 11 kids. 31 years, 11 kids, and they all die. That's like losing one kid every three years. So he writes out of a man who understands pain. His life was very prominent, but it was filled with pain. Throughout his life, God sovereignly put him in a place of prominence in England. Get this. He became a friend of Oliver Cromwell. I don't know if you know much about Cromwell. I only know a thimble full of knowledge about Cromwell, but he was a big gun in his time. Literally, he was in the military and then in the parliament. And he became a friend of... uh, of John Owen, uh, I, the story goes, and uh, you know what history records is that Cromwell, when he heard John Owen preach, came up, put his hands on his shoulders and said, Sir, you are a man I must know. And Owen said, that will be more to my benefit than to yours. And so they started a mutual friendship that lasted for many years. He was asked as a young man, I think he was age 32, when he was first asked to address parliament. So here's this young pastor called in. They understood that some, God had his hand on this man. He pastored a large church, several thousand people came. Then later, he spent much of his life in the academic world. He was a dean and later vice chancellor of Christ Church, Oxford. Here's an interesting side note. He was a friend and mentor to John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote the famous book, you know, called what? Pilgrim's Progress, right? In fact, it said that it was John Owen who first told John Bunyan, hey, you ought to take your manuscript to my printer. And my publisher. And so the fact that uh, I think, I think short next to the Bible, I think Pilgrim's Progress is the most printed book in the English language. And it was John Owen that kind of said, hey, this, this deserves to be printed. So he had kind of a colorful life. He was a high profile guy. When the political sea changed in England, Owen was stripped of his places and removed from prominence, but he continued preaching and teaching. Late in his life, he struggled mightily with some health issues. Uh, asthma was a huge problem for him, as was uh, gallstones. He had a lot of painful, painful maladies. But he continued to preach and pray and pastor, and he continued to write until he died in 1683. He wrote a large number of works, some that are pastoral, some more polemical. Those guys would write books where they would attack someone else that didn't agree with them back then. It was kind of like they're feisty. Like if you didn't agree with this guy, you wrote a book about him, you know? This guy's crazy, and here's why. He's a heretic, and you know? So he wrote some of those. Uh, but then he wrote some theological works. But the book that I want to talk to you tonight is the one on the mortification of sin, which combines theology with kind of pastoral pastoral practice and how a believer puts it into practice. So I, tonight, I, I, want you to give a, I want to give you a little bit of an overview of his book and then how that plays into the passage that we're studying in Romans chapter 8. Owens published his book on the mortification of sin in 1856 when he was 40 years old. And get this, much of the material that's in the book was first preached to the students at the college. Now, that's significant because he was teaching to folks back then that were like teenagers. So this material was first tested, was first brought to young people and said, this will help you deal with sin in your life. So it's not written in some academic ivory tower setting. Here was a guy that was trying to help young men and women walk with God. 
And, the, and what he began to teach them later was the basis for what he wrote down and what we know as the book on mortification of sin. In the preface of his book, this is what he said his hopes were. And I quote him, I hope that I may own in sincerity that my heart's desire unto God and the chief design of my life are that mortification and universal holiness may be promoted in my own life and in the hearts and ways of others to the glory of God so that the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may be adorned in all things. I love that. Owens is saying, here's what you, before God, here's what I really want to have happen. Here's why I'm writing this book, that my own life and the lives of others might be more holy unto God, that, that God might be glorified and the name of Jesus Christ might be adorned around the world. So here was a guy whose passion was not just like, I want to write a book and I'm hoping to be published as an author. He was like, I want to be a man who lives for God and I want other people to do that. Owen also realized that mortifying sin or dealing with sin was not the end game. That's not where he wanted to stop. He realized that dealing with sin was a means to a greater end, and the greater end was communion with God. The reason he wanted to deal with his sin is so he could enjoy closeness and communion with God to a deeper degree. One of his biographers wrote about his concentration on communion with God. Listen to what one man said about Owen. He said, it is interesting to find the ample evidence which his work on mortification affords that amidst the din of theological controversy, okay, he was always, Owen was involved with theological controversy, amidst the engrossing and perplexing activities of high public station, in other words, he had to deal with a lot of high profile issues, he was a very public man, amidst the chilling damps of a university, he was yet living near God and like Jacob amidst the stones of the wilderness, maintaining secret communion with the eternal and invisible God. In other words, Owen was a man who, even though his life was busy and at times controversial and often painful, he's burying his babies. Here was a guy who communed with God. See, those are the kind of people you want to listen to, right? They're not just writing about what they heard about God. They're writing about knowing God from his word and from their experience. And that's what makes up his book. The book on mortification of sin takes as its primary text two verses. And I want us to look at them briefly tonight. We will look at them extensively over the next two Sundays. So tonight will just be a bit of a preview. And so would you join me in the book of Romans? Tonight we will be looking at our next two verses in our chapter, Romans 8 verses 12 and 13. These are the next two verses. Uh, we'll be studying these by God's grace and in God's will next Sunday morning. And some of the things that I'll, I'll say, actually, you'll kind of hear tonight. This will be a bit of a preview. But Owen's work takes as its primary text, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Let me read it for you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Okay, that's the basis of his book. Those two verses I read from the NIV. Of course, he would have used uh, the more uh, archaic and even ancient English texts 
And if you have the authorized version or the King James version, you know that verse 13 doesn't say if you put to death the misdeeds of the body, it says what? If you mortify the deeds of the body. So John Owens took as his text, the mortification of sin, verse 13, where it says, if you mortify the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, mortify, that's not a word that we use a lot in our day and age. It's, it's a bit of kind of an old school word. And so just to be clear on it, I looked it up in the dictionary. And do you know that there are two primary usages or meanings of the word mortify? The first one is probably the literal one, and it comes from the realm of medicine. And do you know that mortify, uh, based on what Webster's and others say, has the meaning of part of an animal dying while the rest of the animal lives. So it's like gangrene in one part of the animal, and the part that dies is said to be mortified. So it speaks of death, and specifically partial death, death of part of a, the creature while the larger part of the creature lives. So that's kind of the primary uses, but then a second usage came that you would say is more metaphorical. And that is to be mortified is to feel like you're dying, right? And we use it that way. Something happens that's very embarrassing and we go, man, I was thoroughly mortified. There I was. Oh, I was just completely mortified. Well, what we mean is that we kind of felt like we're, we're embarrassed enough to die, right? So if you put kind of those two nuances together, when I talk about mortifying sin, it kind of has the idea of part of us dying while the rest of us live. So the sinful part dying, right? Putting to death, killing off the sin part. And it also has the idea of being mortified by sin in our life. Like, oh, I was thoroughly mortified that I did this again. So Owens writes this whole book on the mortification of sin. And tonight, what I want to do very quickly is just to give you four key ideas that come from his book. If you're a note taker, this is the part of the notes where you might want to jot down a few things. And as I said, I'm going to, uh, Lord willing, unpackage these a little bit more in the next two weeks. But let me just highlight four key ideas that come from his book that summarize, I think, the main message of his book and, and really help us with Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Here's the first one. Mortification of sin, first of all, Owens reminds us, is a duty for all Christians. It's a duty for all Christians. Verse 12 says this, therefore, brothers, we have an, what's the next word? We have an what? Obligation. It doesn't say we have an option, right? It says we have an obligation. This is a duty. This is a command. It is an obligation. So mortification of sin is an obligation, not just an option. And by the way, it's an obligation for Christians. Verse 12 starts out, therefore, brothers. Brothers is the way of speaking of believers. So Paul is writing to Christians and he says, hey, Christians, all of you, you have an obligation. It's to put sin to death in your life. So therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. As Owen says in his books, we have been set free from the condemning power of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We have been set free from the condemning power of sin. So now we have an obligation to mortify the indwelling power of sin. We're no longer condemned for sin. Jesus took our condemnation, but sin still dwells in us. And now we need to mortify the indwelling power of sin. So the first thing. Mortification is a duty for all Christians. Here's the second thing. 
Owens points out that mortification of sin is a lifelong duty. It's a lifelong duty. It's not something you do kind of early on in your Christian life, and then you kind of, you know, you win the battle with sin, and then the rest of your Christian life, you just kind of move on a different plane, and you don't have to deal with the junk you used to have to deal with. No, it's a lifelong duty. Uh, The reason, by the way, we say that is if you look in verse 13, where it says, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The Greek uh, tense of the verb there, when it says put to death or mortify, is in the present tense. It has the idea, if you have, if you keep putting to death, if you have an ongoing habit of putting, putting to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. It's an ongoing duty. John Owen says this, and I quote him, Notwithstanding the meritorious mortification of all and every sin in the cross of Christ, Yet sin does so remain, so act, and work in the best of believers that the constant daily mortification of it all their days is incumbent upon them. He's saying, hey, in the best of believers, they're going to have to keep mortifying sin all the time as they live in this body. That helps us understand what he means by the idea of mortification. So mortification is not the utter destruction of sin. Owens, again, I quote him, says, it, it is true that this is aimed at, but this is not in this life to be accomplished. We will never completely destroy sin in our own lives. By the way, this concept from John Owen saved J.I. Packer when he was a young guy. You know, J.I. Packer, who's kind of one of the most prominent theologians of our day, teaches out at Regent College in B.C., a really godly guy. I think he's in his 80s now. When he was a young man, he became a Christian in university. And he, he got involved in a group of people that believed in kind of perfectionism, which kind of taught that at some point, you get to a place in your Christian life where you really don't struggle with sin anymore. You really just kind of are walking with God. And Packer said, I was starting to get so disoriented and discouraged thinking, what's wrong with me? You know, these guys may have been hitting perfection, but I'm not there. And then he said he read John Owen, who said that mortification is an ongoing duty in the Christian's life for as long as he or she lives. And he said it just took the pressure off it. It made him think, okay, okay, I can be a Christian. You don't have to be perfect to be in this. You just got to keep dealing with your sin. So mortification is not the complete and utter destruction of sin. What is it then? It is, this is Owen's words, it is the habitual weakening of sin. In other words, mortification of sin is where we kind of take take shots at sin and weaken it so that it has less powerful influence on our life. Here's an encouragement to some of you. I've talked to some folks. Do you remember how at the beginning of the Losing Your Luggage series, there was a little baggage check? Some of you did that. Remember that? It would get listed all these areas of sinful baggage. And then it had three little boxes, three little suitcases. And what I asked was, if you got, if you got a real big problem in this area, then check. you like, I have three bags in that area. And if you kind of have, well, you know, it's a, kind of a big problem, I might check two bags. And if it's somewhat a problem, but it's not the hugest problem, you might check one. I've had at least two people come up to me and say this. You know, Pastor Rick, one thing that encouraged me, when I did that baggage check, it really bothered me that I had to check some of these things that I still struggle with. But I thought back on my life in a year or two ago, I would have had to check like three bags for that one. And this time around, I just had to check one. You see what they're saying? There has been a weakening of sin in that area of their life. Oh, they still have to deal with it. 
but that's mortifying sin, putting it to death. So it's the habitual weakening of sin. And then more in, uh, Owen adds this, mortification also consists in what he calls frequent successes. Frequent successes. In other words, more and more, when we fight against sin, we win. And we won't win perfectly, and we still need to come back to the cross. But there is a greater sense that God has enabled me to deal with this area of temptation. So the second thing we've seen about mortification, it's a duty for all Christians. It's a lifelong duty. Let me go on to the third. It's a duty that comes with a warning and a promise. This duty, mortifying sin, comes with a warning and a promise. Look at verse 13 and you'll see it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The warning is this. If you don't mortify sin, it will kill you. John Owen has a famous line where he said this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So the warning is this. If you and I leave sin unchecked, it always, sin always moves us towards death. It robs us of life, spiritual vitality. And ultimately, if sin goes unchecked in our lives, if we're not mortifying sin, it calls into question whether or not we really belong to Christ. Because people who belong to Christ, man, they still got baggage, but they're dealing with their stuff. The Spirit of God is moving them to deal with it. So be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So that's the warning. But the promise, the promise is this. Look at last half of verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put the misdeeds of the body to death, you will live. John Owen says this, I quote him, mortification prunes all the graces of God and makes room for them in our hearts so that they can grow. Owen says this, mortification of sin is like weeding the garden. He uses the illustration or pruning a bush. You're, you're kind of clipping off the stuff that's just not useful and you're making space for the stuff that is useful. So mortification actually leads to a greater sense of life because it gets the weeds out and then more of the crop, the fruit of the spirit is able to blossom and ripen in our lives. So we've seen so far mortification is duty for all Christians. It's a lifelong duty. It's a duty that comes with a warning and a promise. And here's the fourth one. And this is huge in his book. He would say this, mortification of sin is a duty that's possible because of the Holy Spirit. In fact, he would go stronger than that. He would say it's impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Owen says. He says, how shall he mortify sin that has not the Spirit? A man may easier see without eyes, speak without a tongue, than truly mortify sin without the Spirit. See, Christianity is not a clean up your act religion. It's not like saying you got to fix yourself up. It's not one of those self-help deals. Christianity at its root says we need help and we need the Spirit's help if we're going to deal with sin in our lives. And Owen was really clear on that. And he talks about the ways the Spirit helps us deal with sin. I'll just give you three of them. He says, first of all, the Spirit leads us to know ourselves. If you read uh, Owen's book, you will come away thinking that the Puritans were not the founding fathers of the self-esteem movement. Okay? That becomes really clear. Uh, Owen says, you should keep in mind your own vileness and thoughts that lead to self-abasement. 
You know, and we read that and we go, man, this guy is not sunny. Don't invite him to your party. You know, he's not going to come in and tell you how wonderful y'all are. The Puritans were really big at saying, you know what? If you really look at yourself, you're not going to be impressed. And it's helpful to be honest about yourself. And Owens does a great job at forcing us to see the parts of ourselves we just don't really like to see. In fact, he does a great job at talking about how our temperaments color what seems to be our holiness. Owen says this, he is not most holy who sometimes looks most holy. Maybe his own temperament is just the kind that doesn't plunge into sin outwardly, but his struggles are more inside. And then he says, on the other hand, here's somebody who outwardly is falling. And we go, man, that guy's always having problems. And he says, but it may be the case that it's not that the guy with the quiet disposition is more holy. We just don't see what's going on in his life like you do with a guy that's more out there and showing you what he's all about. He's very wise, but he calls us. He said, let the Holy Spirit reveal yourself to you. So the Spirit of God helps us know ourselves. Here's the second thing. The Spirit of God helps us hate our sin. One of the things you'll find in Owen's book is that he calls you to think about how deadly sin is. He says, think about what is the cost of having a hardened heart. Think about the loss of life and peace that sin brings. Think about how sin brings the discipline of God. And ultimately, sin unmortified raises questions about whether or not we are truly in covenant with God or whether we are headed for eternal condemnation. And he just has you say, let the Spirit of God show you how heinous sin is. So the spirit of God helps me know myself. He helps me hate my sin. And here's the third thing. And this is where the blessing comes. He says, the spirit of God helps me run to Christ and his cross. The spirit of God propels me to go to Christ and to his cross. The spirit of God, he says, reveals to us the fullness of Christ for our soul's relief. The spirit of God establishes our expectations of help from Jesus Christ alone. And the spirit of God, I love this, brings the cross of Christ into our hearts with its sin killing power. He said, what the spirit of God does is he helps us understand that it's the cross of Christ that killed our sins eternally. And it's the cross of Christ that still has sin killing power in our lives. So the spirit of God moves us back towards Christ and brings us back to the gospel message of the cross. So Owen says, look, you can't kill sin without the Holy Spirit working inside of you. He helps you know yourself. He helps you hate your sin. And he helps you run to the cross. Well, there's more I could say, but I want to wrap it up. Our time is gone with just an encouragement on why I think it's good to read a guy like John Owen. And it's a lot of work to read some of these old guys. C.S. Lewis, though, had a good line. C.S. Lewis said, read the old book. Lewis used to say, for every new book you read, read one old book. And then he said, if that's too much, for every three new books you read, read one old book. And you go, well, Lewis, why do you have to read the old books? And this is what he said. C.S. Lewis said, otherwise we may be easily enslaved to the ideas of the recent past. Do you get what he's saying? There is a cultural bias in every generation. And if we're only reading people in our generation, in our day, we may all miss the same thing. We may miss some of the things that people in other eras, in other places 
in other cultures see more clearly than we do. So sometimes the old book is the corrective for things we have missed. And as I thought about that, I ended up tonight by saying four things that are true about our age that John Owen's book helps me with. Let me show you. Here's, I'll wrap it up with this. In our age, we have some problems with our thinking, and Owen's challenges them. First of all, we think too much of ourselves. I don't know if you, if you agree with me on this, but I, I kind of think our age has understood that we all have this desire for significance, which I think God has put that in, a desire for security. But we've gone at this thing the wrong way. And we've essentially said, we got to just build people's self-esteem. And the way you do that is you just tell them they're great. No matter what they're doing, just kind of tell them they're great. Deep down, we all know that's a bunch of crock, you know? You, know, you, can, you can tell everybody that they're all great and that, you know, you're really, you're special and all this. But deep down, we kind of go, is that really true? I, I, I don't think that the issue is that we have lousy self-esteem. I think the deeper issue, John White, who wrote the book, The Fight, said this. It doesn't matter if you see yourself as small as long as you know that you are loved. See, self-esteem comes knowing that I don't have to be big to be loved. I can just be little old me. I can be little faltering, falling old me, but God loves me. That's where you find a sense of worth. That's where you find the sense that the God of the universe stamped me with his image. See, John Owens is good because we tend to think too highly of ourselves and he shoots that down. He calls us to see ourselves as we really are. And I think that's useful. Here's the second thing. In our culture today, we tend to think too lightly about sin. Not only too highly about ourselves, but too lightly about sin. We kind of see sin as a, the equivalent of kind of moral mosquito bites. You know, a bit irritating, make you scratch and itch a little bit, but hey, unless it's like West Nile virus, you're okay. So like there's a few sins, if you get bit by those, like, ooh, that's a problem. But otherwise, you know, hey, everyone has them, scratch and get over it, right? John Owens didn't see sin as the equivalent of moral mosquito bites. He saw it as the equivalent of cancer. He, he talks about sin as being deadly, as corrosive to our life now, our vigor, our vitality now, and our eternal security. I mean, he saw sin as a huge deal, and I think he's more right than we are. See, Proverbs chapter 8, I think it's verse 13, says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Is to hate evil, not just like to kind of not like evil. It's to hate evil. Romans chapter 12 says, let, let love be without, let love be without insincerity. Let love be sincere. And then it says, hate what is evil. Hold to what is good. Hate what is evil. You know what? We live in an age where we don't hate what's evil. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying hate people who do evil. We are to love people, but we should hate evil because we love people, right? Evil destroys people. And if we love people, we shouldn't love evil. We should hate it. We should hate sin. And Owens comes along and goes, it's horrible. Hate it. And we need that. So we tend to think too highly of ourselves and too lightly of sin. Here's, here's a third thing. We tend to think too little of the spirit. We tend to think too little of the Holy Spirit. And by that, I mean, we think of the Holy Spirit too little, not enough. And I'm speaking now specifically to our little genre of Christendom. I'm talking about people like in the AGC and the Met and those of us who are Bible believing kind of, you know, solid evangelical Christians. We are people who I believe at times get very rationalistic and kind of do it yourself about our faith. 
And Owens comes back to us and says, look, look, look. Yes, you're going to have to give your best to this, but you need the Holy Spirit. This is about the spirit of God's power in your life. And some of us, I would dare say, go through our whole day and we, we not in a single time in the day, do we ever call upon God and ask for the Holy Spirit's help? I mean, ask yourself, do you pray about that? Do you say, Holy Spirit, come fill me, you know, free me from my sin, fill me up. Owens will point you back to your need for the Holy Spirit's power in your life. And I say, praise God for that. That's something I need. And here's the last thing. We tend to think too highly of ourselves, too much of ourselves, too lightly about sin, too little of the Spirit. And then finally, we tend to think too little of the power of the cross. We tend to think too little of the power of the cross. We tend to think the gospel is what you need to hear when you first get saved. And then after you believe the gospel, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I already got that. I already believe that. Now I'm on to the deeper life stuff. Now I'm on to learning about, you know, you know, you pick the topic. Now I'm learning to, to learn about these areas of theology. Now I'm, now I'm going to study, you know, pick any of the good fields. I'm going to be into prophecy. I'm going to be into, you know, eschatology. I'm going to be into ecclesiology. And that's the stuff that deep Christians go into. And John Owens comes back and goes, no, no, no. You never get past the cross. And the Spirit of God will always bring you back to the, the basic truth of the gospel, which says you are saved because Jesus died and you will be sanctified because Jesus died. There is the sin-killing power of the cross. And the Spirit of God keeps reminding of that. And Owens figured that out. And I think in our day and age, that's a good reminder for us. So all in all, I guess I'm encouraging you to say, if you're up for a bit of a challenge, if you're willing to wade through some archaic English, if you're really willing to reread some paragraphs two and three times because you didn't get it the first time, then you might want to pick up a copy of The Mortification of Sin in the Life of the Believer. And even if you don't, if you don't choose to do that, would you just kind of take these thoughts that John Owens brought that I think are very biblical and kind of keep them in mind that next Sunday when we come and next week we're going to start talking about being mortified, dealing with sin. Would you just know that God has given wisdom to people, not just in our age, but throughout the generations, and it all comes from his word. It comes by his spirit, and it's to the glory of God. Let me pray for us, and then we'll let you go, okay? Father, I thank you for John Owen. I'm looking forward one day in heaven to personally saying thank you to him for what he wrote. But most of all tonight, I'm just thankful to you. John Owen would have been nothing without your word. Your word was his guide, just as your word is our guide. And ultimately, Lord, we don't need John Owen. We just need you. We need Jesus and we need the Holy Spirit. But I thank you for faithful guides who point us to Christ and who remind us of the Spirit's power and who bring us down a few notches in our own minds and warn us of what sin can do when it's left unchecked. So tonight we just want to say, please take us and make us and turn us into those kind of people that really reflect more and more the glory of God by reflecting the image of Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.